Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. It depends on where you are and when you're hearing this podcast. Welcome to the next episode of Hope Interrupted, the podcast. I am your co-host, Byron McCauley, here with host Jennifer Mooney. Hi, Jennifer. Hey, Byron. Happy today's Thursday. For those of you, you may be watching it one of the other days, but it's Thursday evening and we are taping a special episode, a special covery of how things are going with Hope Interrupted Book. Yes, we are. And I just want to thank uh, my godson, Starscream the Giant, once again, for bringing us in with that wonderful music. I love that music. That boy is a genius. Okay. <laughs> I'm biased, but he, he is. He is. Hey, Jennifer, something really important happened today. Tell me. Um, there is now a law on the books that makes June 19th, Juneteenth, a federal holiday. And a lot of people are actually getting tomorrow. Federal workers, I think, are getting tomorrow off, actually, the day after we're taping this, correct? Yep. So that's pretty amazing in many ways. And I know we're going to talk about a little bit about that later, but the fact that we now have a federal holiday acknowledging and marking the official end of um, slavery for Africans who were came to came to America um, not of their own free will. We're finally freed. Uh, the last Africans were freed in Galveston, Texas in 1865. It is, a, I mean, it is amazing because candidly, Juneteenth is something that if you had asked a lot of non-Black Americans about what it even represented, they couldn't have told you. And now there's going to be widespread awareness about it. Similarly to the Tulsa massacre, that has not been taught in school, but I think now it's going to. And these are important milestones in American history. They, they are. And, you know, history moves very slowly and then it moves at the speed of sound. So this is just another um, peg that we're um, clambering up on. And, and it's a good thing, I think. I know today, Jennifer, you have a lot to talk about. I have a lot to talk about. We're mostly going to talk about, man, this book, which is just, I'm so, you know, it's our book, Jennifer, but I'm just so thankful for the, the, all the conversations that are being had around the country about this book. I am too. And I'm going to say something on kind of a somber note. I'm going off script a little here. The book has been resonating with people. Byron and I are hearing from people all across the country who are now acting brave and showing courage to be hopeful in challenging times and to speak to and communicate with people who are different than they are. So Byron and I in our lives endeavor to be hopeful every day. And today where I was in the Rio Grande River, um, in New Mexico was a hopeful day and I was without cell service for a while. And then I came out of the Canyon and I found out my neighbor's 15 year old son killed himself. And I said, you're doing a podcast today about hope. And I think people 
ask this all the time. I know people ask me, they say they want hope, they say they need hope, but you see things like that happen and it's it's tough to be hopeful. This is a good family who really does everything right and uh, I feel for them. So I just wanna put out there that we all have moments where it's hard to be hopeful when you see this happen to happening to a young person with a whole life ahead of them. So what I'm gonna say, and I'm gonna sound like a Facebook meme to any of you out there who can't seem to find hope or inspiration in your lives, reach out to somebody, just do it. Because there are people out there who have hope for you, whether you know it or not. So if you're not feeling it in yourself, go find someone else, a friend, a family member, a religious leader, anyone. I promise that you'll be able to connect. You know, that's so powerful and so real. Um, we People are hurting all over. And 15 is a really tough age. I have a 15-year-old. Um, some days are better than others for her. She also, you know, 15 is just hard. I re- and I tell her all the time, I remember when I was 15. And it definitely was the hardest year because your brain is doing all this explosion. This is exploding with all kinds of different things that are going on. And it, se- it would seem like, you know, you can't move forward. So it's it's what I'm learning, though. And, and of course, you know, you have a, a background in psychology, Jennifer. And so, you know, brain science a little bit, you know, and we're learning more and more about brain science. And you can do everything right and things can still go wrong. So it's important to know that and acknowledge that as well. Well, what I'll say to that, Byron, is the brain is not fully developed in terms of reasoning and judgment until someone is about 19 years old. And when you're a teenager, you have a lot coming at you. And this pandemic has been really hard for people this age. They've been very isolated. Uh, as the grown-ups, we've had a little more flexibility than some of these young people have. And what these young people need to know is whatever situation they're in now, it's not going to be like this forever. That's and right. it and it passes. And sometimes adults, we have to tell ourselves that too. But it seems really extreme when you're young. And I remember that as well. And it's important when you feel like that, frankly, talk to your parents. If your friends aren't nice to you, still talk to your parents. Mm-hmm. Talk to your religious leaders. Talk to your neighbors because people do care. They do. They absolutely do. So thank you for sharing that. I think that's really important to pause and, and acknowledge that loss. Um, if we pivot a little bit back to the to the contents of this book and the things that we're starting to hear from people, I've been very moved um, I keep hearing over and over again that people are saying, wow, you really put it out there. Wow, I can't believe you wrote this. You know, wow, it this is this is something that I've been wanting to say. I have a friend, a very good friend. His name happens to also be Byron. And he's been writing me and we've been, we went to college together. He was a few years ahead of me and he lives in Texas right now. But Byron talks about the fact that all the things that he read about in that, that resonated with him about being a middle-aged man, about, you know, job loss, about 
about hope, you know, job gains. But he also talks about help and all the things that we talk about in this book. He's like, are you have you been spying on me? <laughs> and that's really great. That's what we hope would happen when we wrote this. We, we hope people would read it and have conversations with uh, one another. And you've shared a lot of that with me. And it's extraordinarily inspiring. I am. Um, you and I are probably getting um, every day we're hearing from from someone, whether it's the news media, whether it's people who want us to speak, whether it's readers. Mm. And when we decided to do this, it was because we wanted to connect with one another. We selfishly kind of needed that connection at a challenging time. It was extraordinarily helpful for us. And our goal is for people to reach out to one another, whether it's in times of pres pr prosperous times or perilous times. Mm -hmm. One, an interesting thing happened to me um, and I'm, I won't read the whole entry, but I'll talk about it for a minute. So Byron and I started writing this on Saturday, June 6th, uh, 2020. And that was the anniversary of the death of a close friend of mine, my first friend in New Mexico. And I'm not going to read the entry, but I'm going to explain it a little bit. She, she died, and a year later, uh, she was Jewish, and the Jewish tradition is a year later, in people who are buried in cemeteries, the headstone is placed. Well, Karen, my friend Karen, uh, wanted to be cremated. And she wanted to be placed in um, the La Junta River, which is where uh, the Red River and La Junta meet. There's a fork there. And so a bunch of us, her good friends, went down there. And her husband purchased a book a few weeks ago, and he was busy, and he hadn't got to reading it. And so he wrote this to me, and I don't think he'd mind me reading it. He said, three years ago today, we took Karen to the river but I'm writing this email because I'm savoring the letters between you and Byron. I started the book on June 6, 2021, and have been reading your daily letters, one each day, exactly one year later. It's giving me a new perspective of how far we've come in 365 days, but it'll take a while to finish at this reading pace. Juneteenth is now a national holiday, exclamation point. Of course, it took another 100 years before blacks could vote, very proud of the efforts of my congressional representative, who many of you know. Her name is the Honorable Sheila Jackson Lee. She's very famous, and she's been in Congress for a long time. Kudos to you both for getting the conversation out there. Hope to see you before the month is over. Joe. He obviously uh, wrote it a few weeks later to us, but that, that means something to me because we wonder. I think you and I kind of wonder every day, uh, what people what people think about the writing and how it's impacting them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're very fortunate that people are reaching out to tell us uh, about the impact of it. Um, we've we've also been fortunate to um, have some reporting about our conversations. And can you talk talk a little bit about that, Jennifer? How that's going? We have. Now, one thing I want to say for any of you out there thinking about writing books, you write a book because you love to write, because you feel the need to put some words out there in the world. 
you don't do this for some big second income or even a first income. And maybe you'll hit it big and maybe you won't. And maybe there'll be people playing Byron and Jennifer at some point on the screen and maybe there won't. But that's not why we did it. We did it to start these conversations between people. So if it's in your heart, it's an art form that's important to put out there. But it's also important to know that uh, that you're not necessarily going to garner fame or fortune from this. Having said that, we have had news media interested. We've had good reviews. We've had a lot of reporters reading. Uh, we had conversation with someone at big newspaper last night who wants to talk about us. All that's going well, but it's not without a lot of a lot of sweat. Uh, unless you are John Grisham or Toni Morrison or one of the people who's written book after book, generally not going to happen. But you do get your reinforcement from the people who are actually reading you. And it happens to us when we walk into restaurants, when we look at our email, when we look at our texts. So if you pay attention out there, you'll see News on Hope Interrupted. Um, we had, I told Byron, we had an Amazon review today that was particularly moving that I will read to you. And this is a woman who we happen to, we happen to know, and she's been one of our biggest fans. So I'm just going to level set about that. She says, raw, real hope, faith, beautiful friendship. If you don't know Jennifer Mooney and Byron McCauley at the start of this book, you'll come to love them by the end. This is a raw and real story of hope, courage, frustration, disappointment, and strength carried out in a series of letters between them. It evoked every emotion in me. I cried, I laughed, I shouted, yes, when their experiences mirrored my own. This intimate look inside their lives was a source of comfort for me. It was a soothing salve for the hurt, fear, and disappointment that many who look like me have felt during unsteady times that these letters followed. Their experience, while different, a white woman from the Midwest gateway to freedom and a black man raised in the deep South often intersect to a point where they share more similarities than not. Kudos to Jennifer and Byron for this gift from Be Decent Humans. It's a must read in these challenging times. My takeaways, if you've lost hope, do what you can to reclaim it. Life is full of bumps in the road, full of interruptions. The beauty of an interruption is that it is fleeting. It's up to each of us to keep up alive, to do the work. Thanks to the authors for showing us the way. That is absolutely moving. Um, I hadn't seen that yet, Jennifer. So I knew you. I knew I was giving you a spoiler alert. But she, um, she's someone who was moved by the book. Obviously, we have a lot more where that came from. This isn't supposed to be the Jennifer and Byron publicity hour, but it is important to me that we reinforce reinforce that there's a place you can get help. And I do have a background in communications and psychology, and I'm not here to be anyone's therapist. That's not what I'm doing, but, but I do want to put hope out into the world. And I do believe that better times are ahead. And during the challenging times on our planet, if you don't have that, how do you move forward? Well, that's exactly right. Um, I want to take a quick moment to read um, a note that I got from a person who once was a stranger and now has actually become a friend. Um, I met this lady. She was walking down my street. Um, and if you've uh, heard me talk and if you've read the book, you know I sit on the front porch and 
Sometimes these amazing conversations tend to happen when people wave and I wave and they speak and I speak and then we start talking. So one day a lady walked down my street and I noticed I was about to actually take the dog out, but I noticed she looked distraught and I said, wow, I said, are you all okay? She was crying and she said, no, but it's it's not anything, you know, it's not anything special about me that hadn't happened to 200 thousand other people. They're like, oh my goodness, what happened? She said, well, my brother just died of COVID and I'm here to bury him. I spent my last three, I spent the last three weeks with him, I think, or maybe it was three, I don't know, maybe it was a, a, a limited amount of time that he had left. And, um, and so we became friends and I told her, you know, in subsequent meetings, we talked a little bit about, about the book and she bought it and now she's reading it. And she wrote me this, she texted me about a week ago, and here's what she said. She said, good morning. I am so deeply engrossed in your le in your letters, in your book, This Journey, ellipses. On page 202, Jennifer ends with her letter with this quote from the Talmud that speaks clearly to me, Byron. Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now, love mercy now walk humbly now you're not obligated to complete the work but neither are you free to abandon it and i feel strongly about that i am not a religious person the talmud is the most significant jewish scripture but i do without being preachy on my own believe it is up to all of us to do our part and if you go into it saying, but I can't solve all the problems of the world, why do anything? You're giving up because there's always one thing you can do. That's right. There, there's always one thing. And, and a thousand one things that you do or a thousand little steps, you know, that, that can catapult you a long way forward if you, um, if you're willing to take that first step, you know, we talked about this to one of the reporters. We talked about um, just being able to trust someone else and give a friend or an acquaintance or something a chance. Just take it. I think we said take a chance on someone. Right. Else. We do it. We, we have. Exactly. Right. And that's that's important. You know, I took a chance on my on my. I mean, sometimes you just have to say, I'm going to do this regardless of how it turns out, because this is not for me. It's for them. And I think, you know, if you define that, it's called empathy, which I think we're lacking a ton in this world right now. If you look at the things from sort of an external view, because there are so many people out there who are showing empathy for 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 each other that we don't know. Like those are the stories that we don't always hear. We we always hear because if you're watching news, you don't always see that. But I know there's empathy out there from letting someone integrate into traffic with you, letting them through to buying somebody some coffee behind you in the drive-thru, right? That's not empathy, that's an act of kindness, but 
you can you can do things like that, I think. Well, you can. And there's a saying that you learn about people uh, regarding what they do when no one's watching. Yes. And yeah. it's it's important to if you need to believe someone's watching to do something right, then believe someone's watching because somebody probably is. Yeah. Very true. I have a little excerpt someone wrote to me. She texted me. She was reading the book. She says that reading our book took her on her own personal journey. She remembered leaving her marriage and diving headfirst into the life of entrepreneurship and a relationship with a brilliant man that consumed her. Ultimately, she had to end it. In the prophetic words of Patti Smith and Don Henley, sometimes love just ain't enough. Mental health issues rarely allow for a positive relationship. And I couldn't make him better. I truly believe that I was brought to Taos, where she lives, to begin the complicated and difficult journey, finally and truly bearing the relationship with the grace and love for me and him. The story shared by both of you are flowing to her on a vibrational level. And that, to me, that was brave. This is someone I know. She mm -hmm. hadn't told me that much about her life. Wow. You didn't know that? No, I didn't her? know any of that. And I don't know, I don't know if you have the same experience, but some people, some people circle parts of the book and take a picture and send it to us, which I find, yeah. which I find really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. It's actually, and I, you know, yeah, I, I think ahead. we were talking about young people at the top of the uh, of the podcast. Um, tell our listeners about your daughter's young friend staying up all night to read the book, because I thought that was particularly moving. Oh, wow. So this was early on. I think this was actually the day that the book came out. And I um, my daughter, who um, who who has a lot of friends, but they were they were gathered together at this. Um, um, this this gathering, I think, was it was one of their events um, that they were having. It's sort of a social justice um, organization, nonprofit. But one of her friends, um, 24 years old, uh, I've known him for for several years now. He didn't grow up. I didn't I didn't remember him as a little child, but he is my daughter's friend. And he bought the book, and then he read the book, and he read it in one night, in one sitting he said he couldn't put it down and he just was enthralled and so what that showed me was that there's some kind of a sort of a universe universal um appeal to this book um when i had that young because i i frankly didn't expect to hear that but he thoroughly enjoyed it and some of the things that he got out of it was you know, some of the universal, I think some of the universal truth that we're trying to get a, get a part of and, and the fact that we're, that we are, I mean, we're hanging on to hope. And I keep using that word. It probably sounds a little bit cliche now, but it is a title and it is the premise. But man, I was moved by that, uh, certainly. And I think that, you know, the more we hear from people that, that they are enjoying you know, some of the kind of kind of peering into what life was like last year 
which was, let's face it, it was kind of a cluster, as they say. But here we are now, one year later, um, you know, as Joe said, you know, here we are, so many things, you don't even realize how far you've come when you're in it. You know, as we always talk about the frog boiling and eventually he's gone, but he didn't never knew he was, you know, he kept, keeps adjusting his uh, cold blooded temperature upward because, you know, that's kind of the way they, they, they do their thing. Um, and then pretty soon, you, you know, you don't even realize when you're into something, when you're in the sort of the belly of the beast, so to speak, you don't even understand what little incremental pieces of progress that you're making, but you are. Well, and I think the other thing, Byron, is we write a lot and some of you listening have read the book. Some of you haven't. But Byron has three daughters and I have two daughters and two stepdaughters. So and they range in ages 12 to 43. So we're all the way across the generational spectrum. I mean, we've, we've got them all, a lot of millennials, but we've got them all in there. And our hope is really about the world that our kids have inherited. And That's there's right. a lot to say about what's wrong with this world. But we believe that the most important thing I'm speaking for Byron now, we can pass on to them as hope because good and bad times, good times come and go, bad times come and go. That's right. But there is, a, there is another side to it. And I was looking, there's an entry I wrote on Monday, October 26, called The Big Things Aren't Done for Money. And I say, and I'm writing this from Cincinnati, and I say, Dear Byron, I contend that our children may have surpassed us in what matters most good sense, decent values, and quality of life. Our generation, whether we admit to it or not, was on a quest that involved money. I think we believe that having it can mitigate the challenges of living. We didn't calculate that the living was what mattered. Our offspring watched us ascend the ladder, get the awards, plan the trips, book the summer programs, pay the people who helped our, make our homes run. In some cases, some of us even paid people to essentially raise the children. We felt that there would always be time we didn't understand that monetization of what time spent away from our children would never get back. No return. We paid a steep price. And I still feel like that. And as a parent, as a parent, we often evaluate what we've, how we've, how we've raised our children, how they've turned out. I'm very proud of my children. Am I proud of all my mothering? No. Half the time I prioritize work too high. That doesn't mean you can sit at home with them all day because we all have to put food on the table. Absolutely. Um, I am, I am so, I'm so, um, when you talk about our children and our hope for them, I think about that every single day of my life. What am I doing today to make the lives better for others? Especially the people that, you know, if, if life runs its its normal course that we should leave behind to carry on. So yes to all of that. Yes. Um, Jennifer, I, you know, I want to um, read something kind of funny because <laughs> our book, I thought it was funny anyway. 
and it's and today's been kind of heavy so yeah that's a good idea heavy. so um i am going to read an excerpt from june 25th 2020 and i was writing you from cincinnati at this time and this is talking about a little bit about leaving a legacy <laughs> in a different way the title of this was red pepper squash and zucchini do you remember that title i do because it's a great title and i love it when you inject food into it <laughs> all right so um here goes here goes i want to thank you for listening to me talk about my family situation this has been so therapeutic for me I didn't expect to delve into the into these feelings, but they are always raw and top of mind. Kids don't really kids really don't know what they're missing. It's like saying, "Be careful what you wish for." Truth is, I don't know what I missed not growing up with my bio father. Buddy provided a fine life for a kid desperately in need of a father figure. He taught me how to fertilize the land organically. And I put that in quotes because it wasn't officially organically, but it was organic. Plant and harvest purple hole peas, watermelons, tomatoes, peanuts, sweet potatoes, corn, and okra. I also learned to fish and ride horses and raise cows for food and profit. Most importantly, he taught me how to be self-sufficient, which is which I'm sure has led to my sort of conservative disposition. So I mentioned offline that I was going to see a urologist. I completed that visit. The last time I visited my urologist was 12 years ago after Layla was born. Jill demanded that I get the snippy snip <laughs> after we became pregnant, three months after Layla was born. It would have been child number four. It's not like we're, we were seeing each other with great frequency, but we hit home runs. <laughs> <laughs> our families are going to think we lost our minds, Jill said. This was actually our seventh pregnancy. Jill suffered our, our first of four miscarriages in 1999 when she was more than three months, a little more than three months along. So if I continue... So 12 years after the vasectomy, I returned to my urologist because I have Peroni's disease. It possibly sounds way worse than it is, at least with the benefit of internet diagnoses. I had all the classic symptoms. The men's restroom in the urologist's office had a poster inside of the door. Call it comic relief for the pitiful middle-aged male. It showed fruits and veggies in very sta various stages of Peronis. A red pepper shaped like a fishing hook, a banana with an exaggerated curve, <laughs> a, a zucchini, a cucumber, some of them with turns that rival a Grand Prix course. Okay, I know that. <laughs> yeah, but here's the deal, what I've heard about that entry. And it's funny, and I was concerned about you last summer, but I've had so many people say to me, wow, Byron's brave. He's really talking about that men's health stuff. Thank you. I think we should. Men don't talk about their health enough. A lot of things have happened to me um, suddenly in the past four years. And I just had to say, you know, men, go get your stuff checked because you don't do it enough and you end up dying. And that's not good. Just go get checked and get things moving. Well, that's right. And 
listeners, when you're in your 50s, if you're younger, that's when it all really starts happening. You're, if right. you're lucky enough to make it to 50, that's when it starts happening. This isn't a scare thing, but there are professionals out there who can help you with it. That's right. That's right. Well, Byron, I, I'm going to put out there that as we end our podcast, if you haven't gotten the book, please do. It's on Amazon. That's the easiest way to get it right now. Um, Amazon keeps restocking our book. And we hope you'll read it. If you've read it and you liked it, put a comment in Amazon so other people do the same thing. That's right. Thank you, Jennifer. This has been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be sent out right now again by uh, Starscreen the Giant. So thank you so much. Um, we'll be uh, back next week with a new episode of the Hope Interrupted podcast. Until then, Jen. Keep hope alive. Keep hope alive.